The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. And if you have Bibles, uh, we're going to be in James chapter 5 today. We've been going through the book of James, and uh, today we actually get to get into uh, the last chapter of the Bible. Uh, James, the book of James was actually written by James, who is actually Jesus's little brother. I don't know if you knew that, Uh, but James is very practical. We call him the blue-collar scholar because he's a blue-collar, got calluses on his hands, he works for a living, he does hard things, and, and he's very practical in his message to the church. And so he really talks to us about how faith works in our lives, in all these different components, and all these different aspects. It's one thing to just simply say you have faith, but James challenges us in every area to say, this is how your faith in Jesus works throughout your life. And so let me just give you a heads up. This is probably going to be the most unmothery Mother's Day message ever in the history of the church. And so we're actually gonna look at James 5 that talks about how faith works in your wealth. How does faith work when it comes to money? And so we shouldn't be shocked that James eventually is talking about our checkbooks. He's going to talk about money. Why do I say that? Because the whole book is about stewardship. I don't know if you've noticed that, but from James chapter 1, he's always talking about how we steward what God has given us. He says that you're going to have joy in trials. When you go through trials, when you go through tribulations, he says how you steward that emotion, how you steward that event, how you steward that circumstance ultimately will reflect what you believe in your heart. Amen? Amen. He continues on, he says, listen, not only how you respond to trials, but how you uh, respond emotionally in anger. And so uh, how you respond is, uh, is a steward of what God has done for you, how we steward our tongues, how we steward our time, how we steward what we say. Uh, in Christ, we steward the way that we respond in judgment to others. He talks about how we should sow mercy over judgment. In Christ, he says, you should steward the way that you live in humility rather than pride because humility is a reflection of Jesus Christ. He also, last week, we talked about tomorrow or a fear of tomorrow. How do we look at our future? How do we look at the hope that we have? Because how we look at that is actually a steward of what God has given us. And so how is it that as Christians, as believers in Jesus, how is it that James is constantly calling us on the carpet to say, hey, your life should look different your, your life should look differently because, because you're in Christ. And so the best way I can sum it up for you is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Paul actually, he says to the church, he says, the love of Christ controls us. You know, that's what it means to be a Christian. That, 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 that Christ and his love for us actually controls us. Well, Eric, what does that mean, that that Christ controls me? Well, it means that we no longer live for ourselves, but rather we live for him. We live for his sake, who came, he lived, he died, and was raised. And so we no longer look at our world and my world and my life. I actually see it differently now. So when it comes to stewardship, the way we live is actually controlled by the love of Christ. How many of you guys like to be controlled? 
No one likes to be controlled. It's why we need to submit to the Lord. It's why we need a new heart. It's why we need a new nature. It's why we need a new spirit. And so we don't like to be controlled, but in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit reminds us of the love of Christ so that now that love controls us. We live differently. Colossians, I'll bring this one up. Colossians 1, uh, 15. I need you to see this because this is very important for where we're going. Colossians 1, 15 He says, he, that he is Jesus. Everyone say Jesus, just so you know who we're talking about. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You want to know what God is like? Jesus, all right? He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Everyone say all. Okay, you're participating with me. Verse 16, for by him all things, say all. Okay, so by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things, say all. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And he is before all things, say all. You getting it now? And in him, all things, say all, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, which is the church. All right. Catch the theme there. Let me tell you what that means. You own nothing. Let's just put that right on the table. You owe Nothing, everything that you have, everything that you think that you possess has been gifted to you and given to you by Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ, amen? And so everything you have, everything that you think you own has been entrusted to you by the king of all kings. And so what that means off the bat, if all things are his and everything comes from him and everything goes through him, what that means is that you are a steward of everything. Everything, every breath you steward. Every second of time. It is a gift, and you steward that. Every word you say, every action you take, every reaction that happens. Listen, not only that, every penny that passes through your possession, whether how much or how little that might be, you are a steward of it all because none of it is actually yours. And so the reason that we need to understand this before we even get into James, is because our flesh and our sinful nature, which we all have from birth, wages war against that truth. Instead, what we like to do is we like to reinvent an alternate truth, not that everything belongs to him and not everything comes through him and not everything is for him, but our alternate truth is called mine. Everyone say, mine. Yeah, you know it. Right now, in the preschool room, there's a boy who has a truck. (laughs) And there's another boy who wants that truck. And so what's going to happen is he's going to walk over to the other boy, 
and he's going to yank that truck right out of that boy's hand. If he has to claw or bite, it is going down, right? There's going to be a battle, right? And because that is what I want. And when the boy is confronted with the injustice and the sin of the act, the boy will scream out with every breath that God has given him, with the voice that God has given him, Mine. Don't worry, I'm sure it's not your child. <laughs> they would never do that in public, right? How many of you parents know that you don't have to teach your kids to be selfish? But you need to teach them to share. Why? Because everything in us has this ingrate, like, possessional this is mine. We want to believe, we want to live in this false understanding that this is actually mine. But let me tell you something, because the Bible says you own nothing. Everything is a gift. It is, you, everything is borrowed. It is, it is yours to only steward over. And so you own nothing. Everything is God's. Every moment is God's. It is all given to us by his grace as a gift. And so a gift to steward for his glory. In James chapter 1, it actually says that every good and perfect gift comes from God, comes from above. And so how does this understanding of that truth affect the decisions we make with our wealth? Well, if you're taking notes, you can write this one down. You will either worship God with your money or you will worship money as your God. You either worship God with your money or you will worship money as your God. And ultimately, you have to pick one. Right? Ultimately, you've got to decide, will I worship God with my money, with everything in my life for that matter, or will I worship money as my God? So where does my faith, where does the trust of my heart, where does my, my allegiance ultimately rest? Is this mine or is this his given to me as a gift borrowed so I can steward it in the right direction? Well, James 5 actually gives us a picture of what this should and should not look like. Are you with me? Brings us to James 5, starting in verse 1. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be an evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you're thinking, wow, that sounds just like big brother Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Maybe you're familiar with it. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there you're what? Now we're talking. 
Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can't love God and money. Verse 24 says, no one, no one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now let me be very clear with you. You can love God and have money, you can't love God and love money, is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you're either gonna be devoted to one and you're gonna hate the other because you're gonna be pulled in two different directions because God is a generous God, amen? And if my God is controlled by the love of Christ that's in me, then I want to also reflect my Father who's given all things to me. And so there's something in me called the Spirit who wants me to be generous. But if I don't love that God and I love money instead, they're going to wage war. And so Jesus says money can be your master and you're going to worship and you're going to serve only one. He's not saying you have to do without one. He's saying you will serve and love only one. And so there's three perspectives that James is going to talk about today. He's going to talk about selfishness, which means what's mine is mine. You know that one. He's going to talk about stealing, which is what's yours is mine. And then he's going to talk about stewarding, what's mine is his. And so we'll jump into the first perspective, selfishness. What's mine is mine. And so what James is talking about here are the rich, and so, and so let me clarify for you that, one, we are rich. In comparison, it's a relative term, amen, right? And, and so you, you put yourself in a different status, a different culture, a different demographic, you're going to feel really, really rich, all right? And so we're pretty rich. But what James is saying here, he says, listen, don't think of it in terms of rich or poor. That's what our culture likes to do is two categories. Are you rich or are you poor? But that's not the most important thing. It's not are you oppressed or are you an oppressor. The Bible says the two categories that matter are godly or ungodly. He says that the two categories that really you need to look at is, is whether you are righteous or unrighteous. And let me just tell you, by nature and by choice, we're unrighteous. And so what needs to happen is we need someone who is righteous, who would be willing to come and take the punishment for our unrighteousness, and then by his grace, gift us the gift of his righteousness, right? And only God is righteous. So only God can come in the flesh. Only God can allow the unrighteous to be made righteous by taking the punishment for all unrighteousness upon himself and then by gifting those who would believe his righteousness. Look at me. That's exactly what happens in Jesus Christ. Jesus comes, lives the perfect life, dies the death that all of us who are unrighteous deserves to die and then raises from the grave and says, trust in me, I will clothe you with my righteousness because I've paid for your unrighteousness. He says, confess, trust, and believe in the righteous one, the only righteous one, Jesus is Savior. And so, listen, the Bible is not so much concerned with whether you're rich or you're poor, but rather you're godly or ungodly. 
whether you have the righteousness in Christ or you do not have, do not possess the righteousness of Christ. And the Bible's going to say that if you've not received Jesus Christ, that the wrath of God remains on you. You are still condemned. You are still out. You are still apart from God. So whether you see yourself as rich or poor is not as important whether you or not you have faith in Jesus Christ, who is the righteous one, who is the richest one, who became the poorest one, who then retained his throne as the richest one. And so Jesus is talking in this text about the ungodly rich. He's saying, okay, your money, your spending, what you do as a steward doesn't reflect the righteousness of Christ that you say you believe. God gives because he's generous. Amen? He doesn't, listen, he doesn't give because you deserve it. He doesn't give because you've earned it. He doesn't give because you've, you've met some status or you're some, somehow pleasing to him. Listen, Jesus pleases God. We please Jesus by putting our faith in Jesus. That's it. And so we humble ourselves and say, God is generous. And so what happens is these people in James chapter 5 are not generous back to God. What do they do instead? They're generous to themselves. They're, they're laying up for themselves treasures here on earth. And so they're not looking to meet a need. They're not looking to uh, be generous. They're not looking to, to push forward the kingdom of Christ and the glory of Christ. All things are not from him or through him. We're actually, all things are from me and for me. And so I'm going to hoard and get and accumulate as much stuff as I can so I can reach some sort of status so that other people I don't know look up to me and like me. But rather... He says, you're not pleasing God. So generosity is about the heart. Listen, he's not talking about governments. He's not talking about economic equality. He's talking about Christians not being generous. Generosity is not about voting for someone who's going to take from one person and give it to another. It's not generosity. It's actually called stealing and so he's, talk, he's not talking about political, governmental issues. He's talking about your heart. He looks right at it and says, listen, how are you living will be a judgment for you, a testimony to you. It will be a checkmark to say, look, you, you, you say one thing, but you live differently. And so James says that some of you, you have so many things more than you actually need, more than you actually use, and so much so that it's actually disintegrating. It's like, it's like it's, eventually it's going to go out into the yard, on the driveway, in the garage sale, because you're like, I have too many of them. I don't need another one of these. And so we read and we think, how in the world could people have more than they actually use? Called America. We have stuff in our house, we have stuff in our garage, and then we have stuff in a storage unit when our house and our garage is full. The stuff that won't fit in our house, we need to buy a secondary place to keep all of our stuff. We have food in the fridge, we have food in the cupboards, we have food in the pantry, we have food in the other fridge that's downstairs, and then we have another freezer, maybe your fridge in the garage where we have more food, and then we get to go to Costco where we buy food by the pallet. 
And to be honest with you, most Americans could afford to lose weight, and so sharing wouldn't be a bad idea. Just something to pray about. I'm like, that's kind of offensive. Yeah. I'm going to say some things that are offensive, and then I'm going to say some more things that are offensive. And then the band's going to come up, and you're going to like them. So you're welcome, right? Happy Mother's Day. Some of you are like on the way in, you're like, I hope he talks about money and my weight. I would really appreciate that. Okay. Sorry, that's a trail. Let me be clear. What he's saying is that you can enjoy what God has given you, but the way that faith works in the lives of those who follow Jesus is that we are looking for opportunities to bless. We are looking for those to help those in need. We are understanding that all that we've been given is a steward of what God's grace is. And so in order to advance the grace of God to the people who are far from God, it says, listen, don't store up for yourself stuff. He's looking at the steward of God, and he's saying, listen, God is gracious, we are gracious. And so my question is, does your generosity reflect the generosity of Jesus Christ? Or have you fallen into this false belief that what's mine is mine? Because he connects how we steward what we have to the last days of judgment three times. He's going to speak of eternity. Verse 1, he says there's miseries that are coming upon you. Verse 3, he says there's fire in the last days. In verse 5, he says there is a day of slaughter. And so what he's saying is your generosity in your life is actually the litmus test of your judgment before God. And so let, let me be clear, you, 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 you can look at your stuff and you can think, man, I'm really winning until you stand before God and then you have to give an account. And so, okay, listen, I want to be very, 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 very clear with you on this point. We are not saved by generosity. We are saved because of the generosity of Jesus Christ alone. He is the only real generous one. And so we're not saved because we, we are generous. We're saved because he's generous. So I'm not saying that we're saved by our generosity. I'm saying that, that your generosity reflects your heart. And if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And so how do I know what my heart actually believes? He says, look at your pocketbook. It's not for God so that God can have more stuff, so we can build more kingdoms toward God like the Tower of Babel. He's saying, this is a test for you. This is a mirror for you. This is a way where you can examine where your heart really is. Do you love God or do you love money? Because it can't be both. And Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, and your money don't lie. Jesus is after your heart. He's not after some more coin. He wants your heart. Jesus gave so you could live. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. James says, if you want to know if your heart belongs to Jesus, just look at your money. 
And listen, your money will be a test in the last days whether you love Jesus or not. So we're not saved by by how much we give. We're saved because Jesus gave and we trust in Jesus. And because Jesus lives in me, I'm looking around and saying, how can I be generous like my God is generous? You can't buy your way to heaven. You hear me? You, you can't buy your way to heaven. You cannot give enough to change your heart to suddenly love Jesus. You're like, oh, I used to give $10, but now I give $10,000, and now my heart has changed. It's like you can't give enough for your heart to suddenly love Jesus. But listen to me. If you love Jesus, you can give in such a way that reflects that love. And so you can't buy God's favor. Why? Because it's his. I mean, just think about that. I mean, if everything is his, everything comes from him, everything goes through him, you cannot buy God's favor with his own stuff. What are you going to give him that he doesn't all rightly stand over and say, I already own all that. That's already mine. You can't barter with God. You can't make a wage with God. Oh, God, if you do this, I'll do this. If I do this, you have to do this. That's not how it works. He owns it all. So there's nothing that you can bring toward God to somehow make God love you more or less. It is by his grace that we're saved. It's like when my kids were little, they used to buy me gifts with my own money. You know what I'm talking about? Dad! Happy birthday. Look what we got you. We took the tags off so you wouldn't know how much you actually spent on it. <laughs> right? It's, that's the way that God is. He's like, he's like, listen, you can't bring me something that's already mine, but I am delighted that you want to bring generously to my feet. Here, we're not made right before God because we give. We're made right because Jesus gave, and so we're saved by grace We're generous, gift, undeserved from God, and so our selfishness is our innate disposition. You with me? And so we have this bent. The Bible calls it iniquity, right? It's like a crookedness. It's like a pull. Lord, I feel this pull on my heart and my life to actually, uh, I'm prone to wonder, like the psalmist says. I'm prone to wonder. I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love and chase this other stuff. And so we are selfish by innate nature. And so apart from God, we need a new heart. And so my question is, ultimately, where's your heart? Where is your heart with God? Some say, Money's the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil because money could actually be a good reflection of love. You can use money to display love, love for Christ, love for his will, love for his plan. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. You will either use money to love people or you will use people to love money. You'll either use money to love people or you'll use people to love money. And surprise, surprise, it's connected to your heart. And so you could do a lot of good with stewarding what God has filtered through your possession. Or you could do a lot of evil with it. Well, you're going to be judged on what you do with it. 
Ultimately, because it's a reflection of who you are in Jesus Christ. So the first problem is selfishness. What's mine is mine. The second problem is stealing. What's yours is mine. He's going to address it in verse 4. He says, Behold, the wages of your laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. That's good news. If you've ever cried out to God, he hears you. You have lived on the earth in luxury, say luxury, in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your, what's that word? Oh yeah, not your accounts, your hearts. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. The righteous person doesn't resist you. James is referring to a harvest season. You probably know how this works. People go out, they harvest the crops. But there's actually no payday until the harvest is over, right? And so people are working and working and working, and they, they're uh, told that they're going to get a percentage of the harvest. But once the harvest is over, the landowner sells the crop, receives the, the income, and then they're supposed to pay the harvesters, supposed to pay the employees who all made that possible. But they don't. They withhold. They give only a portion. Instead, they steal from them, and what he's saying is they're oppressing them. They don't oppose you. They don't resist you, but they know you're not giving them what they deserve. And so this is the employer-employee relationship. And what I need to tell you about this is if you've ever been an employee that's been neglected or cheated out of a wage that you've, that you've worked hard for, God sees you. God hears your cries. And God can and will fill that gap for you. He'll make sure that you're taken care of. The good news is that if you don't get justice, the Lord of hosts will bring justice. If you can't afford an attorney, you have an advocate who is the king of kings, and he reconciles all things to himself through the blood of his cross. And so listen, if you're in Christ, we don't say, okay, what's mine is mine. We don't say, okay, what's yours is mine. But we do say, what's mine is his. What's mine is his. And let me say, this will change your entire life. And I'm praying that this will change legacies. I'm praying that it will change generation after generation. So if I came to you and say, okay, here's a thousand bucks, right? You need to give them a hundred, but you get to keep 900 to live on, to do what you want. You're like, a thousand dollars? And I just have to go give a hundred dollars? You're like, that is a blessing. We would call it tithing. That's how it works. God's blessed you, and so he says, listen, just give a portion. You keep the rest. Be a good steward. Be wise with it. Do what you need to do, but this, this I want you to give away. And so right now, in your heart, you're thinking, Eric, why are you talking so much about my money? That's the root problem. You think it's your money. It's a gift. Everything belongs and comes from God he owns everything, you own nothing, but everything is filtered from God through your hands to be a steward. James 4.3, it actually talks about taking what God has given and then spending it on your passion. Some of you, a couple weeks ago, we covered that verse. Taking what God has given you, going down the road, 
and then spending it on your own passions. The truth is that God is the owner, we are the manager, and it's called stewardship. And so let me close with this idea. How does God then respond? How does God respond? Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, we got that up here? Romans 1, this is why you came. Romans 1.18, it says, For the wrath of God. What are we talking about? The wrath of God. Okay, listen. We're talking about the wrath of God. What are we talking about? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I don't want to believe that. I'm going to make up my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to suppress the truth. What are we talking about? The wrath of God. The wrath of God is poured out on all ungodliness and unrighteousness, for by the unrighteousness they suppress the truth. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Everyone say honor. So we're talking about unrighteousness. So the wrath of God is poured out on those who don't honor God or give thanks to him. Everyone say thanks. There's the two problems. We don't honor God. We don't give thanks to God. We make up our own way. We suppress the truth and say, I'm going to honor this. I'm going to go after this. I'm going to trust this. I'm not going to honor God. I'm not going to give thanks to God. But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Why? Because they worship created things rather than the creator of all things. And so when the Bible says, Honor God with your life, with your breath, with your mouth, with your voice, with your time, with your talents, and with your treasures, with your money. And we say, no, I'm not doing that because what's mine is mine. I earned it. I worked hard for it. Here's my sore back. Here's the calluses on my hands. This is mine. We fail to honor God. Why would I honor God? I did it all. And we fail to give thanks to God. Why would I give thanks to God? I'm a self-made man. I did all the sacrifice myself. I labored for 40 years. Oh, I give thanks to God. What's mine is mine. I'm going to continue rather to bless God and bless others and like God would allow me to. What I'm going to do is I'm going to worship myself. I'm going to worship my comfort and my peace and my luxuries and my self-indulgences for more pleasure. Listen, my friend, the Bible says that this is futile thinking. And it comes from a dark heart. And it's you suppressing the truth. And then comes the scariest verse in maybe all the scriptures. Therefore, what are we talking about? The wrath of God. Since you did not honor God, give thanks to God, you want to go your own way, you want to do your own thing? Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts. 
And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Listen to me, friend. The wrath of God is poured out upon all unrighteousness. And the wrath of God comes when we fail to honor God or give thanks to God. And so the wrath of God does not come by giving you tragedies or sickness or sending natural disasters like tsunamis or earthquakes, but rather the wrath of God is poured out by giving you over to that stuff by allowing you to continue to chase your own unrighteous passions, God's wrath is poured out upon those who love the things of the world, who chase the things of the world, who accumulate the things of the world, who love the treasures of the world, and who are consumed with the passions and the pleasures and the luxuries and the self-indulgences of the world. And then the wrath of God is poured out upon you by letting you go. You want that? I'll give you over to it. That's the wrath of God. The wrath of God is poured out by just simply giving you over to the world rather than grabbing hold of your heart and whispering to it, no, 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 that's not better than me. That's not more worthy than me. That's not going to satisfy you. God gives you over to the lust of your heart and you say to God, God, I want stuff more than you. I want this relationship over a relationship with you. I want created things rather than the creator of all things. And God's wrath is poured out by just simply saying, go ahead and chase it. And in the end, you can accumulate all that you want, but it will be a judgment against you. And James begs us, in chapter 5, verse 1, come now, rich, weep, and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. He says, repent. Just simply turn back to God. Stop chasing the things that would never satisfy you. Eric, how do I know if that's me? Well, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Have you asked the Lord, Lord, I believe you've given me life. I believe you've given me breath. I believe you've given me everything. I believe that you've put me in places of status and position and put people around me so that I could be a blessing rather than, rather than using them to bless myself. Have you asked God, God, how do you want to use my voice? God, how do you want to use my time? God, how do you want to use my energy? God, how do you want to use my influence? God, how do you want to use my money? Because all of it's yours. Every moment is yours. Every breath is yours. Every penny is yours. What do you want me to do, God? Because ultimately, I want to live wisely. I want to live generously. Not so that I would be saved, but because I am saved. I want to honor you. I want to bless you. I want to give to you. I want to thank you. I want to give sacrificially so that my life would be found in you alone and not stuff. If you don't steward wisely, you can't give generously. That's part of the problem. 
If you don't steward wisely, you can't give generously because you've spent it all on your passions. But if you steward wisely and you start every day, Lord, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to live today? How, what, what is it? How can I be a steward today? Listen, if you steward wisely, you can give generously. And that, my friend, is called worship. Honoring God. Giving thanks to God. And so as the band comes, let me just give you this. In the Bible, worship doesn't happen unless you bring a sacrifice. There is zero people in the Bible that come to worship empty-handed. Even the poor. Worship literally is bringing a sacrifice. And so since everything is God's, listen, we're not paying him back. We're honoring him with what he's given to us. Jesus gave his life. Hear me. Jesus gave his life. It's the only sacrifice that matters to God is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so we don't bring a sacrifice in order to please God, and we don't bring a sacrifice in order to pay God back. We bring a sacrifice because Jesus matters to us. Jesus brings the only sacrifice that matters to God. We bring a sacrifice because Jesus matters to us. Now, I can see it right now. I can feel it in the room. I can see it on your face. You're like, oh, here it comes, the shakedown. I know where this is going. You're going to put big guys at the door. Jeffrey's already there. Good job. You're going you're gonna to pass a bucket and ask us to put our credit cards in it. You're going to pray in about an amount, I understand. Listen, we don't pass the bucket here. Because every time I was in church and a bucket passed by me, I wanted to throw up in it. The reason why is because the Bible says that he wants a joyful giver. Not under compulsion, not under obligation, not because, you know, I preached a sermon on it. But rather, out of the overflow of the heart, we will live. And so we, we have a joy box in the back. That's the way we take tithes and offerings here. And so LifePoint is not about getting money from you. It's about helping you give your heart to Jesus Christ. And so let me just tell you, this year you guys have been so generous. This church is a generous church. You have been a generous people. I don't know if you personally have been generous, but this church has been generous. I'm so thankful for that. We don't give to get a blessing. We give to be a blessing. Listen, God is the one that pays for it all. God is the one that takes care of every need. It's called grace. And so I don't know if you've ever given your life to Jesus Christ, but that's where it starts. That's where we humble ourselves and say, Lord, I need a Savior. I need you to bend me toward the cross so that I would know you, love you, and be a steward for you. And so we want to help those who are far from God draw near to God. We want to help those to trust and treasure Jesus for life. And let me tell you, over the years since we've been a church, we've seen hundreds of people give their life to Jesus. We've baptized almost 200 people since we've been a church. Amen? 200. You could cheer for that. But I'll tell you that God is working through your generosity. That's how it works. And so the good news is that we are just getting started. Amen? That God has a plan to move through us 
into a world that is lost and broken, the unreached, the unchurched, the people who don't know Jesus yet. That's why we pray, we give, we seek, and we ask God, Lord, let my life point to you everywhere in every way. Let's pray for that. Jesus, it is all from you. Jesus, it is all for you. Let our worship and our song be unto you. Let us let our service and our striving be unto you. Let our going and our telling be unto you. Let our giving and our voice always be unto you. Jesus, without you, we have nothing, but with you, we have everything. Jesus, today, we humble ourselves and ask from the depths of our hearts, Lord, 